up here for a long time. Just talk to your neighbor while I prepare, right? You're right. Okay, talk to your neighbor. Not too much. Hallelujah. So good to be here this morning. I'm glad um, and I'm thankful that our pastors let me. I brought, I brought my Bible with my notes, but also I brought the laptop. I don't know how I'm bringing this, but I'm going to bring it this morning. But I want to just, before you take a seat this morning, again, if I have to stand, so do you. Amen. Tell your neighbor it's good for you to stand. Hallelujah. I wanted to roll out a, a move during worship, but I was like, no, contain yourself. Just, just contain yourself because you're bringing the word and you just contain it. But I might roll it out while I'm in the word. Amen. So before you sit this morning, I want to just decree some things. Are we okay? Because we're a, a prophetic, prophesying people, right? We're, we are tongue. We are. We have. We are spirit fooled, but we have a mouth that we can prophetically declare things. And the Bible's really clear that what you say, it shall be. So I'm going to just say some things over your life. And this, if this is for you, just grab it, right? Just say, this is for me. Push your neighbor out of the way. Don't worry. We're, just, we're, not going, to, we're going to be really nasty this morning. Just push your neighbor because sometimes you need to de- do something nasty. Push your neighbor. Just so you can receive it because you need this breakthrough. You need this word. Amen. Are you okay? Are you ready? Tell your neighbor, I'm ready. If you don't want it, I'll take it. Turn to your other neighbor. If you don't want it, I will take it. I want us to clear this over your lives this morning. That there have been um, some very intense trials. Intense. The trials that you have been going through has not been for a year. It's been for several years. This year especially has been more intense. There has been a real stretch happening in your life. Many would say that this has been the hardest years in your life this year. You've walked through fire. Come on, you got to talk to me. You walk through fire after fire after fire after fire. The level of intimidation from the enemy has, and the warfare that you've had to endure has been intense. Someone say intense. It's been at a whole nother level. Just say whole nother level. If it's not for you, just say it anyway because your neighbor may need you to say it, okay? You're just going to echo or be a voice in the, of the word. But I've come to say to the battle-weary saints that the Lord is inviting you to deep wells. Someone say deep wells. Not just any well, but deep wells. Say deep wells. There is a deep refreshing and the rest that the Lord is wanting to bring to you this morning. Deep refreshing and rest. Can you hear me right now? Open, just scratch your ears if you can't hear right now. These are deep refreshing that is going to take place. He is bringing you wellness. He is going to bring you restoration of your health physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. He has promised you healing. Someone say, it's for me. I'm going to give you some promises. If that's for you, just shout out, that's for me, okay? Are you all right? Don't be shy. Don't worry. You don't have a neighbor right now. You've pushed them out of the way. He has promised me healing. Amen. He has promised you refreshing. He has promised you strengthening. He has promised you empowerment. He has promised you restoration. He has promised you deliverance. And now he's inviting you to rest. 
Are you with me? He's inviting you to rest. Tell your neighbor, rest. Tell your other neighbor, rest. See, the Lord is bringing you into a place of deeper rest in Him. Deeper rest in Him. Not in the things that you do, not in your career, not in your work, not in the church, not in leadership, not in the pastor. In Him. Rest in Him. God is not working standing up. He is seated. He's at a rest position. It's called seated. See, we struggle. People ask me, why do you do so many things? Because I'm always working seated in Christ. That is where we find our what? Rest. So the Lord is bringing you into a deeper rest. He is bringing you into a deeper revelation. We've got to stop asking God just to show us the Word, but He needs to reveal the words of God. It's got to be living. It's got to be active. It's got to be sharper than anything else. Dividing marrow and spirit. Woo! Are you okay? I'm calming down right now. I'm calming down. It's been a while. This deeper place of rest that the Lord is bringing you into. It's a place of healing. Are you with me? It's a place of refreshment. It's a place where He's bringing strength back to you. He's bringing strength back to you. He, he has seen your pain. I want you to know He has seen the grief. He has seen the trauma of the seasons that you have been walking in. Jesus is bringing healing and He's loving you back to life. I want you to hear that. He's loving you back to life. You will laugh in the well again. You've got to hear that word. You will laugh in the well again. Many of you have lost your laugh. You're just letting him laugh at you. But you're going to get your laugh back this morning. This is a season. It has been so hard. There has been many tears and hardship. You've forgotten what it was like to laugh. You've forgotten what it was like just to laugh in the joy of the presence of the Lord. You've forgotten it. But I want to declare this from the book of Proverbs 31. You are clothed with strength and dignity and you will laugh without fear of the future. Are you hearing me? You're going to laugh again in the well. And I hear the sound of victory. And I was writing this out. I could hear the sound of victory. The Lord is birthing in your place of rest, revelation of your own personal victory in the place of rest in Christ Jesus. Are you okay? The intense intimidation and the fear that you may be facing in this season. It is created, I'm going to tell you, it will melt away. It will melt away. Friends, I want to encourage you, don't fight against the moment in the season where God is telling you to rest. Are you hearing me? Now, it's not rest that you become lazy and weary. It's rest that you rest in God. What does God look like when He's resting? He said, it's finished in that that part. I've given you all dominion and I've given you the dominion and domain and you're going to rule and you're going to reign. I'm going to be seated now. So you're going to rest in that position. Knowing that you don't have to fight against flesh and blood. But you've got to rest in that position with, in Christ Jesus. So don't try to keep going and pushing through when God is calling you to rest. Don't let the enemy steal that rest from you. Are you with me? Just say, I'm with you. I'm almost done. In Him, you will find healing in the well. Some of you need to hear this today, that the Lord cares more about you than what you do for Him.
He doesn't need what you do for him. He just cares about you. He just wants you. He just wants you to be well. He wants you to know that there's wholeness in his presence, wholeness in him. But there is this is a time that you're going to have a divine pit stop. You're going to stop and you're going to rest for a moment in a season because you need to be well enough to go forth into the next season. We forsake the season of rest because we think we need to be doing things. But God's saying, just rest in the season. Have a pit stop. I'm going to refresh you because you need all the strength and energy for your next move. Are you okay? 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 Many of you, this is the day and the seasons that you need to embrace. This is a beautiful season. You're going to go deeper in the well with him, into the depth of the ocean of his love, into the rivers of the living water, that you will be established and you will increase in the, for the days to come. Say, for the days to come, I'm going to increase. So you're going to laugh again. Tell yourself, I'm going to laugh again. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to laugh again. Tell the neighbor behind you, you're going to laugh again. This is the season to laugh, friends. This is the season to be joyful in Christ. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand? Can you give him a bigger hand? I want to pray for us before we take a seat. Father, we just want to say thank you. Every hand stretched out. Let's activate our faith. Let's be Pentecostal. Father, we just thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're never moved by our situations and circumstances. You are seated in heavenly places, and you've seated us with you, Father God. So we thank you for today that we can come together and evilly divide the words of God, which you have given to us as a manual to live every single day. Empower us with your wisdom and your knowledge, Lord Father, as we seek after you, and not words of man, but seek after you. In Jesus' we pray, and all God's saints say, Amen. on the way down, because I am Pentecostal, can you shake a few hands? Are we okay? Am I loud? Am I too loud? Well, suck it up. I'm trying to keep myself up. What's the series called? <laughs> Not what it seems. I have the privilege of speaking today. Thank you, Pastor Jay, for... Allowing me up here. I'm freaking out. I just want to say I'm freaking out. I've been freaking out all since he told me. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But I thank God for the opportunity. Who knows that you've got to love the opportunities that God has given you. No matter how big or small they are, they're all opportunities. Amen. Before I start, I want to give you a bit of background about why I'm sharing this message. This message is called Under the Microscope. Someone say Under the Microscope. Um, I named this series, uh, this particular word, under the microscope, because I want to take some well-known scripture and some well-known Christian jargon, and I'm going to put it under the microscope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Things like we say that God's in control. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is. And we take awesome scriptures, we put them all over posters, we put them in the bumper cars, and we just, we quote them without ever knowing its power. We quote lots of stuff, not understanding the power of what we're quoting. So actually the Word of God, when we deliver it, can lose its power because we don't understand what we're delivering. Are you okay? So I want to share a message about under the microscope. I'm going to share five lies. Someone say five lies. Five lies. 
I hope I get through five. There's so many lies, but I'm going to go through only five, okay? Just for the sake of time, and I hope I can get through the whole five. I want to ask this question to us this morning. What are some of the core ideas that we've built our daily lives around our lies? I'll ask you again. What are some of the core ideas that you and I have built our lives around are actually lies? It's a good lie. You've got to work hard. Do you realize that every day we are believing things that are simply not true? Friends, tell your friend I love you, my friend. Co-workers, tell your co-worker, I love you, my co-worker. <laughs> Our mind, family, media platforms, the church unknowingly feeds us untruths. But through the word of God, I'm hoping that we can establish a core census that we need to examine everything in the word of God. Today, I'll be putting some of the most well-known lies under the microscope. We'll be examining it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want us to know that everything that we believe drives how we do things and how we respond to things, our belief system. My mission, I believe today, is to challenge our thinking so that when you and I leave this place, friends, when we leave here, we are armed with weapons not that of that is carnal, but weapons that will be used in a spiritual way that you know how to handle the Word of God. You don't go to war with a weapon that you are not trained to handle. So when we go to battle, and our battle is not in here, you're sweet. Our battle is when we walk out of these doors and we have to face life, we need to know how to handle correctly the weapon of God. The only weapon that the armor of God has is what? The sword. So you need to know how to use your sword and your weapon because that's how we fight our battles. So my hope this morning is that we will experience a freedom that we can only find through Christ Jesus as we open up the words of God. So I believe this is going to challenge you, potentially upset you. Praise Jesus. I believe that um, these five lies that I'm going to share with you today are lies that I have believed in my walk with God, my personal walk. I've preached on them. I've written lots of things about them. I've quoted them through prayer, where two or three are gathered. Do you know why churches say that? Because they've looked at the numbers of the churches and they're like, okay, well, let's just say the scripture. When two or three are gathered, there you are in Christ Jesus. You're here with us. We've taken that scripture way out of context. It's got nothing to do with the gathering of God's saints. But we use the scripture because it sounds great. And the Bible says it. But we misuse the weapon which God has given us to pull down some strongholds and beliefs. When God says we two or three are gathered, he's talking about when you're having a disagreement with someone, take someone. If they don't listen, take someone else. If they don't listen, stand in front of the church and correct it. That's where two or three are gathered. There he is in your disagreements. Not in your prayer meeting. 
Not when you're in the church and there's only four people. It's when we're disagreeing because God says that you cannot walk with someone that you don't agree with. Are you okay? Okay, so I'm going to pull down some of these quotes or scriptures or we've taken portions of scriptures and we only use that bit, but we forget about the whole bit. You don't do that, do you? Just me. But I'm going to share some of those things that I have used and learned through the times. My first lie. Let's read it together. Sin separates us from God. First lie. I've always declared from this platform um, and platforms everywhere that if we can understand the book of Genesis 1, chapter 1 to chapter 6, we could read the whole Bible and understand. If you can read Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, that will give you the basis and foundation to understand the whole Bible up to Revelation. See, the kingdom of God and God's original intent for mankind it was written in the beginning in your Bibles from verse chapters 1 to 6. Now, to understand this lie, you need to go back in order to go, you need to go back in order to go forward. So let's read Genesis 3, verses 7 to 10. Genesis 3, verses 7 to 10. Genesis 3, verses 7 to 10. Thank you, Subpoena. Can we all read this together with some power? Because we're Pentecostal. Okay, let's go. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. This is Adam and Eve. Just in case you forget and you don't read your Bible, you don't know where Genesis is, it's okay. I've got you. So this is talking about Adam and Eve. Their eyes were opened after they ate from something they weren't allowed to eat from. Are we okay? Let's keep reading. And they realized that they were naked. They've always been naked. Did you just realize that? They've always been naked. Take a breath when you read Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but he will have to life. And we say it so fast that we don't breathe through scripture and we miss the whole point. So they sewed what? Fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They made what? For themselves. How do they know how to make coverings? Very clever beings. They've never known to wear clothes before. They didn't know what coverings were. They just made, grabbed fig leaves and made them together and placed them in parts. How do they know how to make coverings? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cools of the day. I hope we recognize God when he walks through the mist. I hope we hear him when he walks through your room. I hope you hear him when he walks through the bathroom or the toilet or your workplace or the supermarket or down the street. I hope you can hear the sound of God. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord, they hid in his own creation. It's so hilarious. I'm not going to preach on that, but let's just breathe through it. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? Like God is everywhere at all times, <laughs> but where are you? He answered, this is the man, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid and I was naked, so I hid. Someone say he hid. He's hid. 
Their decision to eat from the tree, which God told them not to, awakened and enlarged their minds. They've always been naked. They've never had clothes. But something happened in that instance where they ate from something where God said to them, don't touch that. But they touched it. Their minds were enlarged and awakened. This is the thing about sin. I don't need to tell you that you're sinning. Neither does your neighbor. Neither does your husband. Neither does your wife. Why? You already know you're sinning. You don't need to recognize my sin. Deal with your own. I've got enough of my own to deal with. But you don't have to tell me when I'm doing wrong. Because you know, like me, when I'm doing wrong. Are you with me? Or do you need to be told that you're doing wrong when you know you're doing wrong? Your kids don't need you to tell them that they're doing wrong. They just have to look at you. They know. They already know that they are doing wrong. You don't have to highlight sin because people already know that they have sinned. Even people that are not born and reconnected to God, they know when they're doing wrong. They can go to Countdown and pinch some apples. They know it's wrong. You don't need to tell them that's sin. They know it's wrong. Are we right? Okay. So it's not just those who, who are in Christ that know it's sin, but it's those who are not in Christ that know it's sin. So everyone knows what's good and right. Everyone. Okay. So like Adam and Eve, once they ate from the tree, their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked and they sewed these fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is in the garden, right? Are, we, are you following me? I'm going to get somewhere, honestly. God didn't tell them that they did wrong. God didn't instruct them how to sew these fig leaves together. They have never seen covering before, but now their purity and their nakedness of their nakedness is no longer pure. The purity of their nakedness is no longer pure. Simply put, Adam and Eve, they chose their own desires based on a lie. They based it on a lie. Sin came through that one lie, that one decision. Now look, let's look what happened outside a garden. Because remember the lie is sin separates us from God? Okay. So now they've been separated from God. They've, they've sown these fig trees. Now let, let's look what God does in verse 21 to 24. Are you, are you following me? Mm-hmm. Okay, because we, we could miss this if we don't breathe. Then the Lord God made what? Garments of skin for Adam and his wife. Who made the garment? Who clothed the man and the woman? That's awesome. But I thought they sinned. Why would he bother clothing them if he's going to kick them out and not deal with them again? Because they're worth it. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. There's many different phrases for one of us. We don't know if they're talking about another angel, or if we don't know which is down further in that same passage, or we don't know if it's talking about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't know. I haven't figured that out. If you know, please let me know. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must be allowed, he must not be allowed to what? Reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and forever live. 
So God cared about them even after they sinned, that he clothed them. He, he, he killed an animal, he made a garment, and then he clothed them. I'm going to get you to the New Testament very, very soon. And then he says, we've got we to gotta kick them out. They can't be here because we've got to stop their hands from touching the tree of life. You okay? Are you following me? So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground. They've always worked the ground, family. Work is not because of sin. Work is because God told you to tend to the gardens and cultivate it. So work has always been there even before sin. But now God's saying, you've got to work outside of this atmosphere and place called Eden. Are you okay? I'm going to take you there. After he drove the man out, he placed at the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. He banished them because of a tree, not because of sin. I'm going to break it down. I'm going to break it down. God made garments from the skin. And this is very significant. You've got to understand that you don't just pass through this. Why is this significant? Three things. Firstly, the first thing, this is the first redemptive step God done or made, which would link it to Christ Jesus, the righteousness of God who has clothed us. He cared so much about Adam and Eve that he clothed them. If sin separate them, I don't think that God would clothe them. Wouldn't that make sense? Okay. The second reason why this is important is because the life was sacrificed to make these clothes. An animal needed to die. That, again, points to the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. It's all pointing forward. The third thing, God dressed them. Do you remember the prodigal son? God dressed him. He ran and he, 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 he sold all his, you know, he, he gave away all his, his possessions and then he ran back to his father. And what did his father do? He ran after him. He gave him a new robe. I see you, my boy. I receive you. I accept you just the way you are. But I'm going to clothe you. So God had to drive them out of this garden, from this perfect garden, to keep them away from the tree of life. Why? Because he did not want them living forever in their state of sin. Think about it. They would always live forever. We never die. God says you'll never die, that you're just sleeping. He says, I'm going to go. I'm going to come back for you. You're just sleeping. You're not dead. You're asleep. That's what the Bible says. I don't know which Bible you're reading, but that's what my Bible says. So we live forever. And this is what is happening when we think that we that sin separates us from God. This looks like grace to me when God covers them. This looks like God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. 
But he loves us so much that he killed an animal. He made a garment and he clothed them with himself. We find them outside of the garden. And now they start having kids. Does God abandon them there? No. The Bible is very clear that through that as Eve was giving birth, she thanked God for giving her the strength. When Cain and Abel were giving their sacrifice, God was still talking to them. But if sin separates you from God, then can I say that you are believing that sin is more powerful than your God? This is a slide. Next slide. There is a slide. No. Slide before there. There. Can we read that together? If sin then what we are believing is that sin is more powerful than God. Are you with me? Did sin separate Adam and Eve from God? Friends, our position in Christ is eternally secure. Eternally secure. And the privileges that we received by faith will never be taken away from us, but we can give it away. Pastor Jade shared on that. However, the consequences of our decisions, are you with me? The choices that we make can cause our fellowship with the Father to be broken. Oh, I'll give you an example of that, that can maybe you understand. You know when Jordan was a young youth? Uh-huh. <laughs> he, was, he did some dumb stuff. I mean, real dumb, dumb stuff. And as his parent, parents, we will correct the dumb stuff that he did. Why? Because we've been down that dumb stuff. And because we're like, I've been there before, boy. And if you keep doing that, you're going to end up like that because I've already been there. I'm just back back for you. Sounds a bit like what God does. And I would, you know, we would correct him and we would tell him that what he's done is dumb and he shouldn't do that. He would apologize. And then, uh, you know, there's still tension in the house. There's no peace in the house when your kids do dumb stuff. When you have to correct their dumb stuff, there is no peace. But a parent don't kick him out. We want to kick him out. But we don't kick them out. Why? Because we love him so much that we're able to handle the weight of his fault and cover it until he mature enough to handle what God's given him. Dumb stuff. We still loved him. We never kicked him out of our house, even though I wanted to. It's just his father's grace that kept him in the house. But there were consequences to his decision And he needed to understand that he needed to overcome what he was going through. But we never, ever removed our love from him because he did something wrong. Is that not like our daddy in heaven? You need to remember that it was Adam and Eve that hid from God. God didn't hide from them. God knowingly went after them in the garden. Knowingly 
went after them in the garden. He knew they had sinned, but he still went after them. That's not a God that will be separated by our wrongdoings and our sin and our faults. Sin has no power over your life. If you believe that, you believe that sin is more powerful than your God. Line number two. <gasps> this is a hard one. God is in control. This is a man's world. No, this is a hard one. This is a hard one. This statement shows that that God's in control and you have so much certainty, like me, we have so much certainty because God's in control. God's in control. And we've all used this statement, you know, when I've done counsel, when I'm talking to people and they're going for a rough time, I'll say, you know what? God's in control. He's got you. God's in control. God knows what he's doing. His plan for you is perfect. It's like God's up in heaven writing a plan and things change when we do something wrong. So he scrapes out that plan and he writes another plan. I just imagine God like that. But anyway, that's me. And we say these things, but I want to put that statement under a microscope this morning. Is that okay? Do you re really, really believe that we are honoring God by declaring him the author of our mistakes? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that we honor God by declaring that God is in control of your crap. Do we really believe that? Because God's in control, right? So when, we, when things ain't working out on our behalf or things are good and things are bad, whether things are good or bad, we just say, God's in control. A friend of mine was trying to have a baby and I heard someone say, this is a while back, and I heard someone say to her at the rugby club, they were there and she was trying really hard to have a baby and then she lost her baby and some stupid idiot. Some person did this. It is God's plan. He's in control. I wanted to get some rugby boots and hit that person on the head. See, we are honoring God with our mess. We're honoring God and saying, well, God, you're in control. You didn't want this mum to have a baby. That is not true. God wants to give you the pleasures of your heart and the desires of your heart. That is not true. You okay? We have beliefs that say things happen in our lives because it's part of the plan of God and the will of God, whether it's good or bad, God is in control. We say things like, if it happens, it's God's will. If it doesn't happen, it's God's will. I don't know what will happen, but it's still God's will. Whether we make it or not make it, it's always God's will. It's God is in control. Is this what really, really what we believe? That God is sitting in heaven controlling everything we do like a machine. I'm just, I'm just, I'm dropping this for you to go back and then don't, don't. You can go past it later. But I just want to challenge some of this stuff. Is that really what we believe? 
So in order to understand this, let's go back in order to go forward. As soon as God created a human being, this man named Adam, Adam was given this thing called free will. As soon as God made Adam with free will, God was not in control. Think about it. Like, am I messing your brains up? Because I mess my brain up all the time. As soon as God created a human being named Adam with a free will and free choice, God was not in control. If God was in control, everything with his will, it will be done. Everything. If God was completely in control, everything will always be done right. Because it's not his nature. Lying is not in his nature. Evil is not in his nature. Bad things is not in his nature. Death is not even in his nature. But God is in control, and we use this all the time. Control does not originate in God. Submission does. Look in the word of God. There's nowhere that God is controlling. But people submit their wills to God. We submit to leadership. We submit to government. We submit to one another. We submit to our parents. We submit to each other. It's submission, not control. The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, they're always submitting to one another. Submission has got nothing to do with authority, just in case you don't know, and it has nothing to do with obedience. Submission is about a relationship of love and respect. I submit to my earthly son as my spiritual pastor. I choose to. I do it out of love and respect, not because I have to, not because he has authority to tell me to, I choose to submit under his leadership. Are you okay? You sound really quiet, quiet, quiet. Our ability to choose and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to free our will will allow us a greater yes towards God's intent. So the more that the Holy Spirit frees our personal will up, we say yes more to God. See, God's not up there micromanaging his people. When he went back into the garden, he said to Adam, you're going to have free reign. Do whatever you like, but don't eat from that tree in the middle there. Don't touch that. And then he went away. He didn't have to go there and control it. He, if he was a God that was controlling, why did he put the tree there in the first place? I have to ask God so many questions because he confuses me. Well, no. Wrong statement. God is not a God of confusion. Amen. So many of us can argue this point, but God is sovereign. He is. So is the queen. The queen is sovereign. But she don't tell you and me how to live our everyday lives, but she's still sovereign. Which means... Unlimited power possesses supreme and unlimited power. But she doesn't tell me how to live my everyday life. The CEO of a company or your boss, they may be in charge of many people and teams, but they're not in control of our staff's actions. They're sovereign, 
because they're overseeing the company. But they don't tell they don't tell Christine this is how you are to act and live. Make sense? When you and I say that God is in control, not only are we applying that God must also cause evil and bad things to happen, because God's in control. God's in control. God's in control. When we say this, we forfeit our responsibility. Friends, when we say that God's in control, we forfeit our responsibility. Are you okay? Okay. I'm really freaking some of you out because you're all looking at me so weird. So we forfeit our responsibility to have dominion over the earth physically and spiritual because God's in control. Whatever will be, will be. We just live in this life that God's in control. No, you're responsible. Are you okay? Lie number three. What is our time? Lie number three. Oh, this is a hard one. Oh, you're going to freak out. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. Lie number three. There's a story in the New Testament. Jesus is having a conversation. Are you okay? He's having a conversation with the Pharisees, and I'm freaking everyone out, but give me a chance to say this, and then I'll go sit down and pass and clean the mess up. He's having a conversation with the Pharisees, and they're trying to trap Jesus, and they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And we all know the story of Matthew 22. Let's read this. Matthew 22, 34 to 39. Let's say this. But when the Pharisees heard, Read it together. Teacher, which is the great commandment in this law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And we stop. Next verse. Uh, Don't run after that. Stop. And the second is like what? The second is like the first. The second commandment is like the first commandment. So no longer are we living under the laws of Moses, but now we're living under this covenant relationship with this man named Jesus. And Jesus is freaking out all the religious leaders by saying to them, you've got to love the Lord your God because that's what Moses said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And he goes, but this one also is like it. And what's the next one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. But also love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's the same. It's like it. It's like it. It's not, this is the first commandment. This is the second best thing. This is the third best thing. This is the fourth big thing. But you have to love your God with all your heart and mind. And you've got to love your neighbor like it. You've got to be like that at all areas in your life. And then John 1, 1, 1 John 4 says this. We love 
because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You know what, friends? There's no priority list in the kingdom of God. I hear this all the time. I'm going to love God first, then I love my wife, and then I love my children, and then I love my kids, and then I love my grandchildren, and I might love my nana and my kuro, and I might love my neighbor down here. And we have this list of priorities in which we love. But is not God's nature love? And the fullness of love includes who? Everybody. This is the best way I can describe it. I was trying to get a wheel this morning or a bike up here. But you know there's a wheel on a bike. This is the best way to describe this scripture because Jesus wanted to mess around with people's heads. This is the best way that I can think of. The bike wheel. Say bike wheel. In the center of the bike wheel, it's called a hub. Someone say hub. It's that thing in the middle. Say hub. It's kind of like what I call Jesus. He's the hub. He's the middle. He's the center. He, he kind of, everything comes out of him. And then off the hub, these things called spikes. Someone say spikes. And these heaps of spikes, they're equally important. Every spike matters to the hub. Every spike. There's no one spike is better than the next spike, and that spike's better than the next spike, and that spike's better than that, and that one, that one, that. And there's no order when it comes to this particular wheel. Jesus is in the center. The spikes are all coming from it. And then there's another part of that wheel called the tube. Someone say tube. The tube is what you... The more air you put in the tube, the faster you can go around. And when your tube goes a bit flat, it's harder to push on the bike. Are you... Oh, listen to me. It's like I'm a biker. Is that not true? Louise, is that true? So we have spikes that are all equally important, and then we have a tube that we inflate with air to keep the wheel strong enough to go around at our pace. Can I say this to us this morning? There's no priority for God in your life. God is prioritized in every part of your life. So he is God at the center, and my social life is just as important as my church life, and my church life is just as important as my family life. And my family life is just as important as my night life. What night life? Oh, and my night life is just as important as my work life. And my work life is just as a, do you get it? He's not putting us in, this is a category that you love me first and then you love your neighbour. No, he says, I'm love. And if you don't love your neighbour who you see, then how can you actually love me? <laughs> and then we inflate air in. And do you know what? The weight of the world and the systems in which we live in can deflate our tires. That's why Holy Spirit comes in to give us more power that as we pedal along life, as we pedal through life, that's why we need to stop and have a pit stop and puff it up again. 
with the Holy Ghost. God is not prioritizing himself above anything else in, in your life. He is part of every part of your life. Every spike in your life is centrally important to him. He wants to know everything about you. He wants to know about your kids, your grandkids, your issues. He wants to know how much you get angry with him. He, he's big enough to deal with your issues. He's God. When you're angry with your husband, I don't know how big God is, but he better turn up. <laughs> Make sense? Lie number four. <gasps> what is it? The cross is God's idea. As I've journeyed with God, this has been the hardest one for me to break. This life. But of every other thing that I've misused and abused through the word of God this is the hardest one to break for me that the cross was God's idea I, I got this idea through Revelations 13.8 where it tells us Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world or through from the creations of the world and somehow I aligned Revelation 13 with the cross being the way been the, been the uh, God's idea from the beginning, the cross from the beginning. This is far from the truth. God is not a God who tortures. Hell was not made for you either. Just so you know, there's another topic. And I'm not going to upset your religious minds out right now. God did not come up with the idea to hang his son on a device that would torture him for a long period of time. Is that really God? Is that the God of love who will create a cross so that he would put his son on there to suffer for four, five, six days or whatever it was, would suffer there for long periods of time? Mm. Just asking. This would go against God's very nature that God is love. Do you know what? The cross was man's idea. The cross was even uh, was around way before Jesus was born. Do you know the Romans would use the cross as a way to shame the slaves and to shame the religious leaders? That they would hang a person on the tree on this cross to bring shame? That is not God's idea. But he used it. The cross, or in the cross of Jesus, God was submitting to a man-made device, a man-made device, this torture machine, this tree, and he transformed the symbol of the cross to be something powerful that you and I know today is our redemption. But the cross was not his idea. He did not make the cross. Romans made the cross, but he used the cross. Yeah, okay. You see, God took this device, the cross, and what the enemy meant for evil, God flipped the narrative 
God flipped it around for good. Are you okay? Are you freaking out at me like, good, okay. I'm going to give you the last lie because I'm really conscious of the time. This is a really awesome one. We are tools to be, use me, Lord. I'm a tool for you, Jesus. That sounds so awesome, right? You're not walking out because you're upset with me, eh? Okay, you're just going to prepare morning tea? Okay, praise Jesus. Okay, thank you, Lord. I haven't lost anyone yet. <laughs> this phase, this, this phrase sounds so awesome and so so terrible at the same time. I've used it in my life. I would sit before God and go, Lord, use me, Lord. Just use me any way you want to use me. It's like me saying to my kids, son, when you grow up, I'm going to use you as my tool. <laughs> it really is. This is crazy. This language is crazy, but we use it. We use this type of language because it's what we hear and it sounds really spiritual, but this is the sort of language that really brings confusion in the body of Christ. This is Christianizing our language. This is not what God is about. I've discovered this is not what God is about. Our God doesn't use anybody. He actually doesn't need you. But he invites us to participate in the work that he is wanting to do on earth. Because we are the, the rightful, ordained children of God to have dominion here on earth. So he invites us to participate in building the kingdom of God with him. He doesn't just use us like puppets. We're not just tools for his, for his disposal. Think about the Trinity. They're a community of people, community of a spirit. They have a relationship with one another. They don't use one another and say, oh, well, Holy Spirit, it's your turn. I'm going to use you. Go down there and sort that. We'll go out and you over here, Jesus, you go do that, and God, you go do it. It doesn't work like that when it comes to the Trinity. They're all submitting to one another. They all have a common, a common vision together. They love one another. They love everything about what they do, but they don't use one another. They participate in a relationship together. God does not use you as a tool. He invites you to participate in building his kingdom. You okay? Okay, last verse. Philippians 2 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance and of one mind. Five lines. Can we stand? You're all freaking me out because you're all so quiet. Yeah. You can give the Lord a hand. Actually, give me a hand because it was me. I did it. Okay. As we grow in the Lord and as we mature with God, some of the stuff really messes with your mind because we're taught one thing and then I probably taught you those things and now I'm, I'm trying to tell you don't do that. God does have a future for you, but you determine that future, not God. He has a hope for you, because he has hope. We are anchored in the hope of Christ Jesus. But it's not like God's up there and he's 
like we we make decisions in our lives for our path. And I have learned since stepping aside from full-time ministry as such in, as in a local church that actually what I do every day is equally important than what I did in ministry, if not more. Because I've learned... And I always would think to myself, is this what God's will was for me in the first place, but I had to go around this corner to get there? I think everything that I've done has brought me to this place, and I'm unashamed about all of it. It's okay. It's built me to be who I am today, and that's when you look at yourself, you go, I've come from this far to here. I've made every decision on the way. We make that decision in God, but we make the decision and he says he won't leave us nor forsake us. He'll always be with us in our decision-making. Our decision-making. He's not up there rewriting and writing your destiny. As you walk in Christ and with Christ, you are creating your own future for you and your tamariki, your mokapuna. But be like the bike wheel that Jesus is the center of it all and everything is equally important in your life and he wants to be part of everything that you do because you invite him into every area that you do. There are some decisions that I have to make in life just like you but these decisions can be like multi-million dollar decisions and I think to myself Lord, can you help me make the decision? I don't hear from him. He ticks me off. I don't hear do you want me to sign this or don't sign this? Do you want me to do this or don't do that? But I just found that if I invite him into every situation, he works and walks through me as I go through it. So that's why I don't have any fear when I do business. If it works, it works. Not if it works, it's God. And if it doesn't work, it's not God. No, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, try something new. Try again. It's okay. If I messed up, it's okay. Try again. That's us kind of working out our own salvation and our own walk with God. Does that make sense to you? I just ask that every eye just close just for a moment. Just close just for a moment. Because we're Pentecost and we've got to close our eyes because that's what a church do. And I want to ask you in your own self that when you leave this place, 